welcome again to the Conversations As You Go podcast and uh, this week we have the privilege of someone that we, many of us feel like we know as we've engaged with him in the Engage Africa uh, DVDs. Uh, David Bruderick is uh, just a, a man of influence and a, a thought leader in movements and uh, has really been influential for many of our praxis workers and people who are working in Asia and has poured in. And so it's a really great privilege to have David Broderick with us. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you, Dave. Uh, really a privilege to be with you. David, um, a, lot of, a lot of people have seen you in those Engage Africa uh, DVDs and have really appreciated uh, you sharing your journey, your passion for for the lost and you're you're willing to lay it all down on the line to to make some of the shifts can you just draw us into a little bit of your story um going back to where it all began for you and um how you um you began the journey of jumping into movements yeah thank you um i i basically got into ministry about 35 years ago and uh it was youth ministry got involved with uh, leading a youth group as a very young man and had an older mentor that really helped me. And um, then the, the Lord really miraculously changed the direction of my life. I was actually going into television at the time and I was going to be a movie maker. And um, the Lord just changed the direction of my life. He just intervened and he called me and I was struggling with it as a young man, didn't have the funding or finances and and uh, several strangers just in a sequence of, of probably um, three months walked up to me in the street, um, jumped into my car while I was parked in different places and looked at me and said, God's called you and you need to obey. Hmm. And so um, just this whole miraculous thing led me to um, Bible college and I studied assemblies of God in a Baptist church that had become sort of charismatic. Hmm. And um, and so I didn't last very long, though. I sort of continued correspondence, but I am not a very good classroom guy. I misbehave in classrooms. And so uh, that, that's kind of the history of my school life. And I'm a self-learner. I love to um, read and learn. And so at Bible college, I would kind of skip classes, and then I would go and study correspondence studies at four in the morning. I, I'd love to self-absorb things. Mm. And uh, so I wasn't a good fit for sitting in, in lectures. And so I jumped onto the mission field, and that's where I met my wife. And uh, we started in an area called Baputitswana that was an independent homeland of South Africa, like a separate country, but not a separate country, best way I can describe it. And uh, we were going to schools and hospitals and prisons and uh, police stations and uh, people on the street, and we were sharing the gospel. And I did that for about a year, and we saw many salvations and very few disciples. And I began to ask the difficult questions, what on earth are we doing? And uh, that took me into a journey of church planting that lasted about nine years. And so the next nine years, I was involved in pastoring a local church, and not as the senior, but as, as one of the assistant pastors, and also uh, overseeing the mission arm of, of that church. And in the mission arm, I was planting churches. I was getting into church planting. It started with, back then, um, home groups or home cells. 
and mm. uh, that exploded. We we began to see multiplication, replication. Uh, in one year, we went from zero to one hundred, and uh, then we began to train leaders, and we began to ask ourselves, what what must we do? And and we figured we needed to plant churches, and so I got involved in crusading. I built a big. Uh, gospel truck where we called it uh, towed a 16 kilowatt generator and we went to um, pubs and shabins what we call in south africa shabins like pubs in the rural areas and parked outside them uh, soccer fields we would set up with lights cameras action and we would preach the gospel and call people wow. forward and do mass baptisms and all that kind of stuff mm. Um, and then we began to plant churches, and we uh, cleared property, cleared uh, ground, uh, put up tents, uh, built fences, trained pastors, and I planted five of these churches, and I began to get, um, again, disillusioned, <laughs> disillusioned with with the effect. And, and the disillusionment was, the it seemed like the amount of energy I was putting in was not equivalent to what I was getting out. I I was burning out in terms of the energy I was putting in, but I, I wasn't seeing the results I was expecting to see. And I suppose the frustration of every leader is when they read the book of Acts, it just doesn't seem to measure, our own lives just don't seem to measure up to what we see there. And so I went on this journey again. And and something took me back to that initial explosion of small groups. And that was pretty quick, pretty rapid, pretty natural. And I began to ask difficult questions around that. And so I went on this long journey of searching to see if anybody else was looking at, I didn't have the word movement in mind on my tongue at that stage, but was anybody else doing something like this? And uh, the prevailing thought at that stage was kind of institutional church and uh, the only guys that were asking questions were kind of, at that stage, the simple church guys and the house church guys, and and the internet was just emerging, and there was a huge controversy around this in the West. And uh, and so I began to uh, connect with and speak to and visit some of the emerging voices at that stage, um, Neil Cole, Wolfgang Simpson, Tony and Felicity Dale, some of these guys, and I began to ask these difficult questions that at that time was it was an extremely dangerous thing for a local church pastor to do. Um, <laughs> you were basically, you know, you were ostracized from your entire network relationships denomination if you, it even came out that you were doing this kind of thing. But I, I was just mm. asking the difficult questions. And, and then, you know, there were some of these sort of house churches emerging in South Africa, and I, I went on a tour and I went to visit maybe about 30 of them came back severely disillusioned because all I found was um, angry reactionary people, uh, people that were angry with their existing churches and they were sitting in little groups in houses and uh, it, was, it, was ba- it was doomed for failure. And so um, the ideal wasn't quite matching up with what I saw on the ground. And I, I again went on a search and... Um, in the very early days, days, Neil Cole was quite helpful. Um, Brian Hogan, who had just started his uh, work in uh, Mongolia, I met with him a couple of times. And all these different voices, uh, people that had gone before me, began to speak into me. And I mentioned that because we really do stand on their shoulders. And um, somewhere in that journey, uh, a friend of mine called and said, uh, I- I'd like you to host somebody because we're having a conference in Johannesburg. And and I said, well, 
Um, I don't know if I can. I had completely run out of money in the sense that my credit card had maxed out everything. I had nothing. Um, I'd spent everything. I'd spent all my energy, all my time, all my money. Everything was gone. And, um, and a voice in me said, do it. And so I went to the airport to fetch this guy and brought him home. And he stayed with us and I took him to the, to the conference every day to do his conference. But I never attended the conference. I would just take him and then I'd come home and you know, I'd fetch him in the afternoon. Um, it was an interesting conference because we started with 100 attendees and I think we ended with 20. Because every time he spoke, people got offended and left. And um, by the second evening, I began to talk to this guest of mine and, and interact with him. And um, his name was David Watson. And uh, David and I began to talk in our pajamas in my lounge. And uh, we connected. And he, he began to look at what we were doing. And we had um, sort of several house churches at the time uh, that were not multiplying. Nothing was happening. And he um, offered to, to get involved. He offered to help. Hmm. And so he went into a 10-year mentoring relationship with me, and, and we built a close relationship. And he, he helped us uh, break through some of the barriers we were seeing. And so one person after the other, really on that journey, one person after the other spoke into what we were doing. And, and then um, I connected to an organization called New Generations in the States and, and began to work with some of their leaders that were movement leaders around the world. And and still working strongly with that team. And um, we run an organization in South Africa that at that stage was kind of branded as a local church. It's been rebranded now, and it's, it's called 248. And, um, and so this journey was a long journey to get to where we are now. And we began to see movements. Uh, we began to see these breakthroughs um, in, in Africa, Southern Africa, we begin to see, you know, first 100, then 200, then a couple of thousand. And, and we got to about 3,000 groups and churches multiplying and exploding. And um, a guy called me from, from Russia and asked me to get involved. And so I flew over and for a couple of years doing the work here, I was also working in Russia. And we began to see an explosive movement there that um, I, I think they say now 12,000 um, groups and churches. And around that time, this is, this is around 2009, I think, um, I began to ask an, some more difficult questions. And the questions were uh, around urban, urbanization. Uh, I began to ask myself, Lord, where do you want us to be? Where do you want us to go? And, you know, I was thinking he was going to call me to some remote, unreached people group, and I was ready to pack my bags and go. Uh, I don't know if my wife was quite that ready, but I was ready. And... Um, and I, I picked up a Wikipedia graph on global urbanization, and it shocked me. It said that uh, in 2007, the entire world changed forever, because it's for the first time in the history of the world, since the inception of the world, more people lived in cities than in rural areas. And that that trajectory continues right through to um, uh, 2050, where 70% of the world will be urban. And, and so I began to ask the difficult questions again, and, and it was, we're seeing exploding movements. At that stage, you know, through the different connections and relationships we were working with and, and seeding into, we were seeing incredible movements um, in Africa, in Asia, in, in Eurasia. Um, 
but are they in cities? And, and I, I looked out and I scanned the cities of the world and I, the answer was overwhelmingly no. It was overwhelmingly wherever we were seeing this explosive growth, it was out in, in rural areas. And so I began to feel this call somewhere around uh, 2010 to the cities of the world. And um, what would it take to see movements of the gospel in the cities of the world? Because if we don't, then almost every single missionary effort today will be irrelevant um, by the year 2050. It'll be relevant to only 30% of the world's population. And uh, what I learned over time is that it's not a change of location. It's an entire change of how we do things because it's not just that cities are in a different place. They are structured and built completely differently to rural environments. And so there's mm. reasons we weren't seeing these movements in cities. And we had to solve those challenges and overcome those challenges. So that, that's some of, uh, of my journey. Uh, along the way, we began to um, see incredible things and in how God was um, working in people's lives. I, I, uh, just you know, a couple of stories when we first started in the city of um, Midrand, which is halfway between Johannesburg and Pretoria in South Africa. We, um, my wife and I moved there with very little resources and we began to ask what would it take to see a movement and, and we just early on learned the role of the miraculous, just how God's intervention is just so, so important to movements. And so our, our first disciple was a witch and uh, she came out of witchcraft and uh, walked into my lounge, sat down, and a male voice spoke, and 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 we began to you know help her and work with her, and and um, one of our leaders was a, a very wealthy guy in um, in business, and uh, he just a funny story. We we were praying for him and trying to break through with him, and we couldn't break through, and and the one day uh, a, a disciple of mine and I we drove to his house and. There was a, a large tree outside his house, so we parked behind the tree so he couldn't see us. And uh, we begin to pray for him. And and somewhere in that prayer, I just, I don't know why, I've never said this before or since, but I said, God, make his pillow so hard that he can't sleep at night. And <laughs> um, my, my friend just thought this was so funny. He, he literally fell down on the floor in the, in the car laughing. And uh, we had a good laugh and we drove away. And, and anyway, this guy actually came to Christ. We baptized him, and and we were sitting and talking to him the one day. And and I, I started to tell him the story. I said, "Do you know how you came to the Lord?" I said, "This is what happened. We were outside your house, and and I prayed this crazy prayer." And he slammed his hands down on the table, and he stood up, and he said, "Is that what happened?" And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "What was the date?" And we went back to the date and he said, I bought three new pillows that week because I couldn't sleep. <laughs> and, and so there were just, uh, you know, so many, a, a young child that fell into boiling water and we prayed for him and his skin was like a baby's skin. There were, there were just so many miracles and we began to learn the role mm -hmm. of the miraculous. But, you know, mm -hmm. through all of that, we came to this place where today uh, we are focused on movements of the gospel in the cities of the world. And what would it take? And Dave, I wish I could give you the answers. I can give you some of the things we've learned and then just a whole bunch of questions that we still have. <laughs> so that's the journey. That's, that's a fantastic journey and very, very rich. There's, there's so much that we could um, jump into and, and draw from as you're 
uh, talking there. Just just going back to that, you know, the, the the seasons of doing things and then questioning and journeying and then sitting back and looking and then new ideas coming out and then going forth. But you know that that season uh, of um, going back into the small groups really institutional church uh engaging with neil cole wolfgang and then uh and david watson turns up in your house and starts to mess things up uh what what kind of things were were shifts that had to go on both in you and through your practice to shift you to become from from a, a number of groups to 3,000 groups and churches and then God started pushing you internationally what what were some of those uh, early on shifts that had to happen in you? I mean probably one of the most personal uh, significant shifts, there were personal um, bordering on existential shifts um, and then there were tactical shifts um, I, I would say that the personal ones were probably the most significant Um and 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 so personally, I remember we were pastoring a church. We had started a sixth church, by the way, just because that's what we do. And so I ended up pastoring this church, and and we came to a place where we felt the Lord saying, "This one you need to give up. Um, you need to walk away from, and and now build movement." So we did that, and I remember a year later. Um, Sitting outside on, I don't know what you guys in Australia call it, the, the stoop, we call it here the stoop, the porch, the veranda. There's all these different names for, but we were out on the porch, right? And, and uh, my wife and I were drinking tea like any great British colony does. And <laughs> so we were drinking tea and we were complaining. We were complaining to God about how bad things were since we left the institutional church. And I, I don't say that. Let me just let me just say that I'm not saying that with any kind of um, sense of criticism or anger towards the church. We work with a lot of leaders that are leading great institutional churches. I don't. Uh, there's no animosity towards that at all. Um, but we were we were we had left that and we were pursuing movement and we were asking, kind of, you know, God, what what's going on? Um, we were depressed. We were, I'd lost my way. I, I was just in this time of searching, and it had gone on for over a year. And uh, in a moment, just in a in a moment, in my conversation with my wife, we realized that uh, up to that point, we had placed our entire significance in our position in ministry. Um, I was a pastor; she was the pastor's wife. That that was our significance, and the Lord had ripped that out from under us. And um, the Lord just took us through a whole process of healing instantly, uh, where the depression lift, I got new direction, I got new energy, when I suddenly realized the sin of placing our significance in um, the work of God versus the God of the work. And, and so um, God, God just took that away from me. And I, I still see that as one of the greatest obstacles, is that people have positional significance rather than their significance being in Christ. And uh, they, they can't give that up, and that's one of the biggest obstacles to movement. And so there were some of those shifts that were very, very personal that the Lord had to take through, and the Lord had to break, and the Lord had to change. And then I, I think that on a, on a tactical level, 
um, probably one of the biggest changes was simply the Discovery Bible Study, which was a very radical idea back in those days. Um, and, and it was the idea of uh, n- not the method, um, not the steps, not the tool, but the idea of simplicity, the idea of, of, of a tool that ordinary people can use, the idea that um, every single person, no matter how young, how old, illiterate, whoever they are, can be a disciple maker. And I had just come to realize that all of our disciple making tools, I had written it to, I had written disciple making books. I had them lined up, you know, um, tools to make disciples. They were just for a very narrow group of people. And um, and so the, the idea of simplicity, the idea of the Discovery Bible study being simple, the idea of the Word of God being uh, powerful, effective, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide soul from spirit, where my teachings were not. And again, that was the issue of significance. You know, God's Word's actually more potent than my sermons. That was quite a shock uh, to the system, because I always thought that God really needed me to interpret what He said. And... Um, and so, you know, some of those shifts were pretty radical for me. But as we began to shift and began to trust that, that, that the Holy Spirit could work through ordinary people, that you could plant the, a church through an illiterate, ordinary person who had the Holy Spirit in their heart and, and, and the Bible in their hand, and no theological training, that uh, one of the accusations against the early disciples was that they were unschooled and ordinary men, and, and yet they had turned the world upside down. When those aha moments hit us and we began to put those into practice and build away from ourselves instead of towards ourselves, but build away from ourselves. And you can't do that if your significance is in position. And build away from ourselves and empower and mobilize ordinary people away from ourselves and say to them, instead of, you know, you've got to come back next week to hear the great thing I have to say, uh, saying to people, go out, obey and replicate and tell me about it afterwards. Don't ask my permission. Those were radical shifts back then. Um, and, and so as we began to make those shifts, we began to see um, those changes. And then I think through the years of mentoring, one of the great gifts that David Watson gave me um, was helping me to think strategically. And so um, we would have long conversations and he would ask me difficult questions. And really what he was doing was teaching me to think. Um, strategically, and, and I was that way inclined. I had that kind of mind. I was, you know, I was, I was asking those questions, but I, I just didn't know how to think through those challenges, process those things, and, and that's really, I think, something that he helped me. So there were, there were real personal changes. There were tactical changes, and then there were strategic shifts that we made in that journey. Just fantastic. I think it was in. Um... Uh, 2010 that I, I visited South Africa and spent some time with Floyd McClung and David Watson was teaching for that week and I sat in with David Watson and I wonder if you were in the room too um, and uh, I had brought David to South Africa and took him to Floyd so I was in the room I just I was hiding in the back <laughs> and I think I had a con- I think I had a conversation with you at the back of that room in 2010, okay. <laughs> and it was the 
Discovery Bible study, that, that shift that, that changed everything for us as we came back into Australia, shifted from church planting to a discovery-based methodology and, and applying that uh, with uh, Muslim families and just seeing families coming to Christ. It was just like, wow, it was a game changer for us and um, really, really put us on a totally different trajectory where we also kind of left the 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 paradigm of just planting a sunday based church focus to a movement based paradigm uh yeah and so that was um that's a quite a significant um um thing and then we were just hearing the stories that were coming out of at that time that was to be later formed into the book miraculous movements and um had so many so many um great stories there but um, that's that's fantastic, and then as you as you then jump through and the the personal shifts, the 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 leadership shifts, the the thinking shifts. Um, how did you then go into international um, shifts of of engaging in in many different nations and and coaching different leaders? What were some of the things that you were having to learn then? In, in being the leader that, that really helped others multiply in their context? Well, I, I think I had the advantage there of, of um, external leaders pouring into my life and being able to reflect on uh, what did they do right, what did they do wrong, and all of them were cross-cultural. Um, and, and then again, you know, David helped me think through some of those cross-cultural um, challenges and then also you know South Africa is very cross-cultural and um, many South Africans are pretty used to moving across cultures but there are some cultures that I still wasn't used to and and so um, I, I, I tend to be pretty pioneering in in nature and so I keep pressing into new areas pressing into new boundaries I'm not somebody that settles um, I, I will get to the top of the mountain and I'm already looking at the next mountain and I'm headed down the valley. Um, that, that's my nature. And so uh, as we began to see breakthrough in South Africa, I asked myself, where next? You know, where next? Where next? What next? I'm constantly asking that. And I'm, I'm never settling or camping. And I, I think you need both kinds of people. You need people that settle and establish and you need people that are pioneering. I tend to be the one that's a bit less settled. And so um, I just kind of began to throw out word in the network and said, hey, I'm available to, you know, travel. And uh, the first opportunity actually came out of South America. And so, again, I just dug into my credit card and booked a ticket to South America and blindly flew off and, and began to meet different leaders and people and, and do trainings. And and some of those, those early trips were pretty fruitless, um, but I was I was stepping out you know that's the big thing i was stepping out i was i was pressing mm. into new territory mm. and and i've just learned over the years the first step is the most difficult um once you're moving it's much easier to find the direction but that first step is really really hard and so uh, I, I was stepping out and 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 through that you know people speak to people and you you do a training and it's fruitless but they speak to someone else and so 
another call came and another call came and I began to respond to those calls and dig deeper into my credit card and <laughs> but but you know slowly began to began to move around and I recognized at the time that um I was really in training I I, I realized that um it, it wasn't so much about uh, the people I was going to and it was a lot more about me and that if I really wanted to move to this point where uh, I felt the Lord calling me to, which was this global um, voice, that I needed to be trained. And I could only be trained on the field. You couldn't be trained in a classroom. And so I never went to a cross-cultural class. I never went to a, you know, how to do missions in another culture class. I never attended any of those. Um, but on my journeys, on my trips, I met people. And so... On one of my trips, I met a professor at a university who was the lecturer of cross-cultural studies. So I just canceled my ticket and spent two days talking to her and learning. And because I'm a self-learner, that's how I learn. And so uh, I, I bought books and I spoke to people and I, I kind of just learned this on the fly. And um, and after a few years, um, I had got used to what we now understand or, you know, David Watson actually taught on that too, but the role of the outside leader and the role of the inside leader, the uh, role of the person that comes from outside and the role of the person that uh, carries the movement on the inside. And one of the things I intuitively knew from the beginning was um, I I could not go to another country, especially on a short-term basis. I'm not even sure on a long-term basis, but we can debate that one. But on a short-term basis, I can't go to another country and start trying to make converts and make disciples. It's just not going to work. And so I needed to build the sustainability for movement in that country from day one. And the way I did that was to find the catalytic leader, to find the person who had the capacity, the energy, the uh, character, the stability in his family, his marriage, his ministry, whatever it is, um, to carry this forward. And I needed to invest in that person. And so everywhere I went, every nation I went to, I, I began searching for that person um, and, and built those relationships over time. And that's how we began to see movements roll out. That's just so fantastic, Dave, to be able to hear and, and listen uh, of the journey, but also the the leadership shifts that have to have happened both in us and through us and in our thinking but in our practice i just wonder whether you'd like to finish this podcast with a word of encouragement and and we'll be jumping in next week to another um session with you yeah thank you dave i i think that um just listening to myself tell the story you know, if I reflect back, the big thing I want to encourage people on is is to not fear failure. Uh, I know we work in a lot of Western environments, and and there's just a huge fear of failure. There's people are scared to step out because what if I fail? And I, I want to promise you, you're going to fail. Um, it, it's you're going to fall down, and it's not going to work. And I also want to promise you that if you get up again, you're going to be twice the leader that you were before. And that God is going to do incredible things if you persistently move forward. And so uh, really my story is just one repeated failure after the next. Uh, People look at it sometimes and go, oh, that sounds like success. And I say, no, it's one failure after the next. That's that's the story. 
Um, and in, in the journey, God blesses us and, and we see movements and we see God doing amazing things. But, but keep moving forward and taking those risks and asking the difficult questions because we really need people that are doing that. So I want to encourage people to take risks, do, don't be afraid of failure, um, step out and learn from those and keep moving on.